Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised him, they sent word around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick, and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this particular passage which focuses so clearly on the Lord Jesus, and it's got so much to say for us in our lives today. I pray that as we just spend these next few minutes reflecting on it, that by your spirit you would speak to us. You know the state of our hearts, you know the things we're going through in life. Please speak to us individually and corporately as a church family so that as a result of tonight, we might trust the Lord Jesus even more, know the security that's in him and nowhere else. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it would be a great help if you could keep your Bibles open at Matthew 14 and uh, this passage that we're going to think of. And Tim introduced the service very well tonight, saying that we're thinking about the security found in Christ. And one of the things that I think brings insecurity for people in life is fear. And I'd like you to think about fear. It's an odd thing, but I I want us to focus on fear. Uh, I think as human beings, we've got a strange relationship with fear. Often we think of fear very negatively. We hate it. We don't like the feeling of fear, and we blame fear for lives not lived to potential. We see fear as a weapon used to control people or subdue people. And so fear in that sense we see very negatively, uh, something to avoid, to escape from or rise above. But there is another way to look at fear. We sometimes see it more positively. I'm told that there are some people who like the sensation of fear watching scary movies. If that's you, you're weird, but (laughs) I'm told there's lots of you out there. Although I'm not sure whether it's really fear because there's still a level of protection. But I'm a parent, and when I was raising my three children when they were young, I wanted them to have fear. I didn't want them to have no fear because no fear leads to foolishness and rash actions. But I wanted them to have a healthy fear, where they feared the things that should be feared and didn't fear irrationally the things that shouldn't. Now, that's a more positive sense of fear. So we've got this strange view of fear, positive and negative, where you have both those senses of fear in the scriptures. In the Bible, sometimes fear is negative, sometimes it's positive. In one sense, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge, the Bible says. In that sense, fear is a good thing. It's a necessary first step on the way to a good relationship with the Lord. In fact, I was at a church this morning, uh, and we sang a song which said, 
"'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And, but it doesn't, we don't remain in fear with the Lord, and grace my fears relieved. So in that sense, uh, fear is a good thing. But on the other hand, you also get the sense of fear in the Scriptures being negative. In the Gospels especially, fear is often contrasted with faith. You either have faith, which is seen as good, or you have fear, which is seen negatively. And that's because in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, faith is always in Jesus in the Gospels. Fear is always in what? You might think things that aren't Jesus, but actually sometimes fear is to do with Jesus as well, and we'll think about that as we go through this passage. But our passage tonight has this comparison of faith and fear running all the way through it. And I hope that you'll pick up and see the comparison that Matthew wants us to notice uh, going on all the way through. So let's have a look at the passage itself. We begin in verse 22, and we're told immediately, which means we should probably remember what's just happened. And if you cast your eyes back, you'll see that the passage just before ours is the very famous feeding of the 5,000. And so our passage takes place immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. Well, what happens immediately? What we see is Jesus get the disciples to go into a boat and to cross the seas to the other side while he stays behind and he dismisses the crowd. Now, I want you to notice that particularly, what he does there. He tells the disciples to get into a boat and gets them to cross to the waters. But by getting into this boat and crossing the waters, these disciples will find themselves in a life-threatening storm. When we, uh, as preachers, preach about the storms in the Gospels, we make an analogy to our lives today, and we say we all go through storms, and we all face struggles in life, and I think it's okay to do that. But I want you to notice, these disciples are going to get into a terrible situation. They're going to get into a storm, and I want you to see that they face it precisely because they did what Jesus told them to do. And I want you to notice that for a, a very important reason. I want you to notice that because often as Christians, we sometimes think when we're in the midst of storms, the difficulties of life that you and I do find ourselves in, we think we must be suffering this because of some hidden disobedience or some sin. And what happens is it becomes almost a double burden. We're going through the storm itself, and then we think we must have caused it in some way, and it becomes even worse for us. That's not a necessary consequence. Sometimes, like here, storms and struggles can follow from obedience. These disciples were literally doing what Jesus had told them, and in that obedience, it caused them to run into the storm. It's a good thing to notice and be aware of uh, when you face storms. Well, verse 24, the disciples have got into the boat, and they've, they're going. Jesus stays behind to pray alone on the mountain. Good thing to do. But the boat, which is now a considerable distance from the land, encounters the severe storm, wind and waves ravaging around. This is not a good situation. Then we're told, though, in verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. Now, fourth watch of the night is not familiar language to most of us, uh, in, in, certainly not in New Zealand. I don't think it is in England. But we need to understand what fourth watch means in order to properly understand the sense of what's going on here. Fourth watch was Roman language, came from the Roman Empire, and the Romans were experts in lots of things, but warfare was one of their particular strengths. 
And what they would do is they knew that if you had enemies around you, you couldn't all sleep all the way through the night because enemies could sleep up. And so they broke the night up into four watches. And one group of them would stay awake, keeping watch for that time period, while all the rest slept. So they broke it up into four watches. The first watch was what you and I would call six o'clock to nine o'clock in the evening. The second one was nine o'clock to 12 o'clock midnight. The third watch was midnight through to three o'clock in the morning. And the fourth watch, the one we're interested in, was three o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the morning. Now, why am I wasting your time on fourth watches and times? Well, because in verse 23 and 24, it describes the boat and the storm happening when? In the evening. When Jesus comes out to them on the water now in the fourth watch, it's just before dawn. Now, I want you to put yourself in that situation. That means these disciples have been struggling all night in the dark, in the wet, in the cold, fighting for their lives in pitch black. It's been a long night. And I know that as I talk about this to you, there'll be some of you here tonight who know exactly how long a night can be. A night when you're not sure you'll see light again. You're not, you're not sure you'll make it through the whole night. That's the kind of night the disciples were having. But now, as dawn is approaching, as the dark was perhaps getting a little less dark and the light starts to make things more bearable, we're told that Jesus walked out to them on the sea. And I want you to be very clear, that's what he does here. He's walking on water. It's the same phrase used in verse 25 and verse 26, because Matthew doesn't want us to misunderstand what's going on here. This is not an hallucination. This is not that Jesus was strolling along the, the, the kind of um, seashore and it was closer to the boat than they thought, some kind of optical illusion. It's not. I heard this preached in a church once. It's not that there was a hidden sandbar just under the surface of the water. I heard that preached, uh, and that's what Jesus was walking on. No, he's walking on top of the water in a way that you and I can't. We would sink. I can't tell you how quickly I would sink if I tried to walk on water now. Sadly, a lot quicker than I used to, but... Um, but he walks across the water. But this is not just a miracle that's happening. This is a miracle. This is incredible what he's doing. But it's not just a miracle. If you know the scriptures well, there's something deeply symbolic happening here. Because the, in the Bible, the seas are often the image used of chaos. The seas are often the image used of destructive forces in opposition to God. And so think about what that means when Jesus walks over the top of it. If you think of the Old Testament, the home of the Leviathan, which is the beast uh, against God, is the seas. When you think about the way chaos comes and breaks creation with the flood, it's the seas that do it. If you think about the book of Revelation in chapter 21, when it talks about the new creation that awaits for you and I and everyone in Jesus, it says there will be no sea. This is the verse that really worries surfers in New Zealand. They want sea in the new creation. They're not happy about no sea. But I don't think it's saying there'll be no sea literally in the new creation. There's lots of symbolism in the book of Revelation. I think what it's saying is there will be no part of the new creation that is chaos or that there's destructive forces against God. It will just be good in the new creation. Jesus walks over the top of that. Do you see the statement that it is? Well, when you see Jesus do that, you see the miracle of just walking on water and then you, you know the, the deep sense of what it is to see him walk across the water like that. The disciples respond in verse 26 in a way that we get. 
They're terrified. It's a ghost, they exclaim, and they cry out in fear. And I want to say tonight, here's appropriate fear. Now, there's a sense that I'll come back to this in a moment where they could have thought something else as well, but at one level, this is appropriate fear. When you see that kind of power, when you see that kind of authority over creation, when you see that kind of sovereignty, it should cause alarm because we know how powerful nature is. Anything more powerful is frightening in terms of its power. William asked me before about the earthquakes. I don't think I've seen anything more powerful than those. If I'd seen someone more powerful than that, well, that's someone to fear. And that's what you often see in the Gospels. I don't know whether you've picked up on this, but sometimes in the Gospels, we find people frightened at odd places. There was another incident in crossing the water that the disciples had with Jesus where he was asleep in the boat, if you remember the story, uh, and the storm comes up and they're worried and fear for their lives. It says they were scared. Then they wake Jesus up. He, he wakes up. He says, peace be still to the storm, and we're told it goes utterly calm. And what's the response of the disciples? They're terrified, the Bible says. Why are you terrified of the, of the calm? Because they'd just seen power they could not explain. They say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's another occurrence where there was a, a man who was possessed by demons, and he used, to, he used to be naked and run around in graveyards shouting out obscenities and being violent. And the Lord Jesus wonderfully heals him. And we're told at the, little, uh, at the end of this little account by Luke that the people who lived in that area saw him sitting down, fully dressed in his right mind, and they were terrified. And you think, why? I'm looking out at a lot of people who seem to be in their right mind, fully dressed now. It doesn't seem terrifying to me. It was because they knew what the powers that had been possessing this man. To see someone more powerful is frightening. That's the power of Jesus. And so they respond in fear. But then Jesus says these incredible words to them, these wonderful words that he spoke to them on that you know, awful, lonely, scary, dreadful night. But I think words that every Christian should hold on to down through the ages He said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And if you don't remember anything else from tonight, remember those words, because they are words of comfort and confidence and conviction, and you can't find them anywhere else in this world. Well, they certainly seem to encourage Peter Because Peter, who's been struggling all night and fearful as he sees Jesus, straight away responds. This is why we love Peter, isn't it? He just jumps right in. He's all or nothing. And he's straight in here. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Be very hard not to like Peter, I think. Jesus says to him, come. And we're told in verse 30, Peter gets out of the boat and he himself walks on water and comes towards Jesus. Isn't that brilliant by Peter? Now, it doesn't say how far he got, but I've got a theory that I'll share with you in a moment. But he walks towards Jesus. It's brilliant. Jesus walking on the water is in three of the Gospels, but neither Mark nor John mention Peter doing it. Only Matthew does. It's so good to see him do it here. But alas, it only lasts a little while because Peter suddenly becomes aware again of the circumstances around him. He becomes aware again of the wind and the waves and the danger, and he becomes afraid, and we're told he begins to sink as a result. 
He cries out, Lord, save me. Always a good prayer. If you can't remember any prayer in your life, those three words, Lord, save me, is a good prayer to remember. And wonderfully, we're told, Jesus reaches out his hand and takes Peter. So I take it, Peter got nearly all the way to Jesus. doesn't say that Jesus had to go after him. He just reaches out and grabs him by the hand. He catches Peter's hand and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And it's clear that Peter's fear has led to doubt. Do you see that? Fear has led to his faith wavering, his faith diminishing. Well, Jesus grabs Peter, they get into the boat, and then something else miraculous happens as the storm dies down immediately. And we then see the disciples respond to Jesus and what's happened, and we'll think about that response in a few moments. So that's the passage. That's the little incident with Jesus and Peter walking on the water. I've just got two quick points that I want to share with you from this. And the first is this. Fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. I'm so glad that Matthew included for us this account of Peter walking on the water because I think this account, it doesn't just say what happened back then, although it does do that, but I think it gives us a picture of faith that every Christian experiences. Let me explain what I mean by that. What Peter, I think, does here and goes through is the experience of every Christian in their Christian walk, every person who trusts in Jesus. What I mean by that is Jesus comes to Peter and Peter responds in faith. Now, literally, it was walking along the water uh, and all of that, but that's what happens. Jesus comes to Peter. Peter responds by faith. But then the struggles of life get to Peter. His fear of the things in this world becomes stronger than his faith in Jesus. He takes his eyes off Jesus, we're told. In fact, it says that he sees the wind. I'm not sure you can see the wind. I think the, the, the point there is he's taken his eyes off Jesus. And as faith falters, he starts to doubt, and he gets into trouble as he sinks. But then, in his moment of need, he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him by the hand, holds on to him, and brings him safely through the storm. Do you see what I mean? That this little interlude with Peter is, at one level, a description of the life of faith that every Christian has. It's what we all go through. We have faith in Jesus, but then life gets on top of us. Fear. We fear the things in this world more than we trust in Jesus. We take our eyes off him. We start to just look at the circumstances around us. We start to doubt. Our faith falters, and we start to sink. And I want to make clear, Peter had every right here. He had every reason to fear. Peter was an experienced fisherman. He knew the perils of the sea. He knew the danger, the threat that he was facing. But he'd forgotten who was with him. He'd forgotten who his faith was in. Our lives today get filled with things that we fear. Gets filled with things that pull us away from trusting Jesus. The problems that we face, the losses we experience, the addictions we go through, fear of being alone, fear of uh, relationships being severed, fear of uncertainty. COVID's caused so many fears because so many things are out of our control and we're not sure what will happen. And we can very easily, like Peter, become so aware of the wind and the waves around us that we doubt and then we lose heart. I think it was either Socrates or Yoda who said that uh, fear leads to the dark side. (laughs) 
I think it was the Muppet. I think he was, but he's very wise, Yoda. He's a Jedi master. But he's right, because fear leads to, I think he said anger, it does lead to anger, but it also leads to doubt. It also leads to fear, uh, kind of not knowing how to cope. There was so much fear in New Zealand over COVID, and, and that made everything worse. Because when we're in fear, we operate at our worst. We're impatient, we're angry, we're unkind, we lack a generosity of spirit. Fear is a terrible thing. But for Christians, we don't have to. The most common command from God in the scriptures is, do not be afraid or fear not. Both those two things together. Fear is the enemy of faith. Beware letting the storms of life get on top of you so that you fear. And so that your faith falters and your eyes come off Jesus. It may be totally understandable, very realistic, but fear is the enemy of faith. Well, then how do we sort out fear? Well, secondly, second point, Jesus is the power of faith. There's one reason and one reason only why Christians can have faith, not fear, even in the face of real storms and real struggles. And that's because of whom our faith is in, Jesus Christ. This incident shows how incredible, how awesome Jesus is. And I want to make it very clear because it's easy to miss. I think lots of people think walking on water was cool and uh, kind of impressive, but it's more than that. What was the, and I'll, let me prove it to you. What was the disciples' response to Jesus walking on the water and calming the storm? Verse 33, they worshipped him and said, truly you are the son of God. Now that's an incredible response. And if you were reading Matthew's gospel from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, right through to chapter 14, we have not seen this response anywhere else from the disciples. They have never worshipped him. Indeed, they've never even known or realized or declared that he's the son of God. In fact, in Matthew's gospel up until this point, only two entities have recognized that Jesus is God's son. Who are the two entities? One is the demons. They knew that Jesus was God's son. Who's the second one? It's kind of a trick question. It's God the Father, because he says at his baptism, here's my son whom I love. The disciples have never realized it, but they realize it here and they worship him. Well, why? What was it about this that made them finally realize he's God's son and worship him? Because they'd seen Jesus do healings. They'd seen him do the feeding of the 5,000 just before this. They'd seen Jesus in Matthew's gospel raise the dead, but it didn't cause this response. Why this? because of the symbolism of the sea, because of what it showed and demonstrated. In the Old Testament, the great leader of the people of God, Moses, he once stood with a staff in his hand and another hand outstretched, and he prayed to God, and he managed to do a miracle with water where he parted the seas. Jesus strides casually across the top without the staff, without the hand, and without the prayer. And suddenly it's clear Here's the one that creation itself bows before. Here's the one who's unlike anyone, not even Moses or any of the greats of the Old Testament. It's very clear from this passage, this is the one that everyone's been waiting for, and therefore this is the one you want on your side. And friends, that's exactly what you and I have. Our faith is in him. The power of faith. That's who you and I have as the object of our faith. It's in him. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, people who are not Christians who know that you are saying, I wish I had your faith. I've had a number of people say that to me in my life. And I know what they mean. 
I, I, I sympathize, but it's a flawed statement. It's a flawed statement. Faith is empty and without power in and of itself. In fact, everyone's got faith, and they demonstrate it in lots of ways every day. The key thing with faith is, what's your faith in? Jesus is the power of faith, and you and I have Jesus. Now, following Jesus in this world doesn't make life easy. I wish it did. It doesn't remove us from problems. We've seen that in these verses. The disciples were only in the storm because they were obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to take up our cross and follow him. Life in this world is difficult for a Christian, but the life of a Christian, despite the difficulties and the storms, is a life of ultimate confidence, ultimate assurance, ultimate certainty, because we know how it ends in the end. We know we have the victory right at the end because we know we have Jesus. I've got to say, uh, with all the the way life is at the moment, I'm not sure if I could cope with life without Jesus. Because what have you got to have confidence in? What do you have to have assurance in, in this world with so much to fear? Nothing in this world that we might fear can thwart Jesus. When I went through school, my, um, my school career, I shouldn't call it a career, it wasn't good enough to be a career, but uh, I went through 13 years of school. I didn't fear one thing in my school career. Oh, there was one kid. There was one kid who had that strange combination of uh, great physical strength and a short fuse. That was someone to fear for a very short time, but nothing else. But our children, it's a different world. We've got a daughter who just turned 20, and my wife and I were talking about it the other day. In her school career, her 13 years, she's just finished, she was on a school excursion in a public swimming pool when the earthquakes hit. She still can't talk about it. If you try to talk to her about the earthquake, she has to leave the room and she can't talk about it. A few years later, she was locked in a classroom and spent four, four hours under her desk because there was a gunman in Christchurch shooting 50 people dead at two mosques, one of which was a kilometre from her school. And then in her last year at school, she was shut out from the school because there was a global pandemic that had shut down the world. I cannot look my daughter in the eye and say there's nothing to fear in this world. There is. But she has Jesus, and he is more. She has Jesus, and he is different. There will never be an experience that we go through where Jesus doesn't make all the difference. So you and I, when we're face to face with those things, when we're feeling the wind and the waves like Peter did, perhaps shattered after a whole night when we were not sure whether we're going to see the light, or perhaps shattered after many years of something that we're fearing and struggling, remember the words, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And remember, that's who's with you. That's who you can cry out to. That's who grasps you by the hand and will hold on to you and keep you. Jesus the power of faith. Cry out to him like Peter did. Lord, save me. Know that he will grab you and hold you and ultimately save you. Peter may have taken his eyes off Jesus, but the important thing is Jesus never took his eyes off Peter and he will never take his eyes off you and I if we're his. There will never be an experience in our life where we're alone or where he won't be with us or where he will be unable to preserve us ultimately. And therefore, nothing is hopeless, nothing is a lost cause, nothing will drown us if we turn to Jesus and cry out to him. Faith, not fear.
It may be that at the beginning of a new kind of academic year that some of us need to reorient ourselves today because fears become the norm. It's so a part of our experience and life that it brings regularly doubts and like Peter, it's causing us to sink. If that's you, I'd encourage you, just pause for a moment. Look at your king. Remember who he is. Trust him and have faith in him. See, that was actually the problem with the disciples when they feared those wonderful things Jesus did. What they were fearing was they didn't really understand who was with them. If you understand who Jesus is and that he's with you, you don't have to fear anymore. Your fears may be well-placed at a worldly level. The struggle's real, but Jesus is more. He's greater, and you can trust him. Fear is the enemy of faith, but Jesus is the power of faith. Keep your eyes on him. More importantly, know that he has his eyes on you. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Amen.